What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, hammering it home. This spring, there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up. Headed into the summer as well. Last chance broadhead shoot with West Coast Archery. May 15th through the 17th. And also coming up June 13th in Reno is the Dead Eye Golf Tournament. For more information and more details, check them both out on Instagram. I'm sure you'll have no problem finding their accounts. Also get ready, Yeti Total Archery Challenge. It's going to be a blast. Hope to see everyone there. Thanks. They fall in the wrong hands, right? Right. So, well, and then, I mean, at that point, what do you do? Can't pull it back, right? That's <laughs> happened to me before. Dedicated. Years ago at the Capitol, right? Uh-huh. Oh, Bill, Bill said this about, you know, you know this. And, yeah. And, of course, the animal rights folks said, oh, I'm going to use that against them, you know? And yeah. yeah. In so, any way. I mean, I'd gotta have be careful. to. i got to work with these guys. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, I would imagine... Now, are you recording now? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. We're going. We're going. Um, I would imagine being in the Capitol, um, and we kind of spoke to this a little bit earlier, is your, I mean, your whole battle is 100% uphill as to where for someone on the opposite side to have a build, it's absolutely easy for them, you know. Yeah, they're they're running damn downhill on this stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the demographics, you know the uh, the urban legislators, if you will, the mm-hmm. liberals, as, yeah. you know, as we call them. I mean, they, they control seventy to eighty percent of the of the building, right? Mm-hmm. They control all the committees. They got seventy to eighty percent of all the committees. You know, seventy to eighty percent of the the votes on the floor and so forth, and largely. You know, they're the ones that don't understand firearms. They don't understand hunting. You know, they didn't grow up with a, you know, a BB gun in one hand and a fishing pole in the other, like yeah. like you and I did, right? I mean, so it's foreign to them. Mm-hmm. You know, but they control 80% of the vote here in the state. So yeah, it, it's an uphill battle for us. It's a downhill battle for the other folks for sure. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly educating the uh, the members down in the building, you know, and their staff on on our issues. Yeah. You know, so that they understand. I mean, we don't need, you know, 40 million hunters in California, but we do need 40 million people that, that understand and respect hunting and the tremendous benefit it provides for wildlife on the ground and beyond, right? Yeah. We do need that. I mean, if it's tough enough now to get a reservation to go hunt Grey Lodge if you're Thank a duck you. hunter, right? You know, so you don't want to compete with, you know, 39 million other people, but they do need to understand the role that we play in wildlife conservation. So that's one of the things we constantly try to educate them on. And how far do you think they're disconnected from the role that sportsmen are playing in that? Very far disconnected. We see we see bills like, all the time. Are they even aware of Petman Robertson or anything like that to that effect? No, or? they're not even. Many of them aren't even aware of the California Fish and Game Commission. Mm-hmm. That is is the, the body that was established by that same state legislature 150 years ago in 1870 mm-hmm. to make decisions on wildlife management policy in the state of California. 
that the state legislature created, if you will, the, the California Fish and Game Commission. They didn't call it the California Fish and Game Commission in those days, but it served the same function, right? Yeah. You get the new members, especially with term limits, because you're here 12 years and you're gone. Or worse yet, you lose during those 12 years or you bounce up to Congress, whatever. But but the max you're going to be here is 12 years. You know, so they come in fresh from wherever the, you know wherever their district is. There's no educational course that requires them to learn, you know, which policy-defining entities are out there and whose responsibility is what. Now, granted, they have the authority, yeah. you know, to make decisions on wildlife management in California. And what's going to be happening and affecting all of us as hunters. Right, right. You know, so the Fish and Game Commission, five members appointed by the governor, confirmed by the Senate. So it's not like, you know, the legislature doesn't have a, a say in who's on that, that five-member body. They do. Yeah. All five of them right now were appointed by by Democratic governors. They were all confirmed by the, the, the Senate, right? We just had one that was heard just a week ago or so. I don't think she's came to the floor yet, but she got out of Senate rules, which is the policy committee. Five nothing, she'll be confirmed. Right? And so was she a hunter prior to that, or has she? No, strong, you know much about she her? She was. Sandwiches? Yes, please. All right, so. That looks like the burnt ends one right there. Right? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, you sure did. Thank you. Look at this. Wow, look Thank at you so much. Yeah, you that that yeah, yeah, it looks right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank so you. Gonna be over there barbecuing and all that stuff. Awesome. Just take, in case everybody's we'll take a little time out wondering what's going on. Yeah, We're I want to try that sauce right now. About to eat some lunch. We'll check back right. in with you. So we have a new gal coming in. We just finished lunch, by the way, everybody. We have a new gal coming in. End of the Fishing Game Commission, filling the fifth seat. Right. And we were talking earlier that uh, is she a hunter? Was she not a hunter? What's her exposure to people of the traditional outdoors lifestyle of hunting and fishing and being her, a sportsman outdoors? Her name is Samantha Murray. She was appointed a little bit less than a year ago by Governor Gavin Newsom. And, and the process, she needs to have Senate confirmation. The process for doing that is that she needs to be confirmed by the Senate before she's been in that seat for a year. Mm -hmm. If they either hear her and, and give her thumbs down, or if they just don't give her a hearing at all, she's gone. Oh, really? Governor would have to appoint somebody else. Okay. That didn't happen. She was bumping up. I want to say she's been there about 11 months or so, and it's not surprising to see him almost run the entire 12 months before they actually bring her up in the uh, in the Senate. Always waiting until the last minute. Right? Yeah, and you got to remember <laughs> that. I mean, they went on break back in September. Yeah. And they just came back in early January, right? So they're not going to hear her during, you know, late September, October, November, or December, or, or maybe in early January. But yeah, they heard her last week. She passed out a Senate Rules Committee, which is the first step that she needs to uh, go through, you know, on a 5-0 vote. And so now it's on the Senate floor. I don't think she's been heard on the Senate floor yet, but I do not anticipate a problem. Give you a little background on her. Extensive education and professional experience in the fishing industry. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to knock on her, it would be because she was involved in the MLPAs, which a lot of people don't like, frankly, for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, but brief history on what that is. The Marine Life Protection Act mm -hmm. and the marine protected areas that are scattered up and down the coast now that we didn't have 10 years ago, yeah. right? Affects a lot of salmon fishing. Yeah, a lot of fishing, of fishing across the board yeah. on stuff, absolutely. Yeah. And that was a hard-fought battle. 
both in the legislature and in the Fishing Game Commission. So there's a lot of people, friends of ours, if you will, in the fishing community that, that may have a, a rub against her because of that. That aside, she's been there almost a year. She's had a few tough votes. She's been pretty solid. Really? Pretty solid. Now, from a hunting perspective, she was raised in a hunting and fishing family. She doesn't personally hunt. Yeah. But she's got a family history of hunting, and to her credit, I'll, I'll say at the Senate Rules Committee hearing last week, I was there, her opening statement was riddled with the history that she had in, in hunting and fishing as a child, the fact that she understands the role of hunters and anglers in the wildlife conservation model, what we do as far as funding and, and so forth going on the ground to help species, both game and non-game. She gets it. Right, which is incredibly important yeah. when it comes to making decisions that are either thumbs up or thumbs down on, on hunting, hunting access, methods to take, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so no, I, I like her. I, I, I knew who she was before she was appointed. Didn't have the opportunity to work with her or anything. Talked to some of the fishing groups about her and they're kind of going, eh, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we're not happy with the NPAs <laughs> and so forth. But some of the fishing groups supported her in there. Oh, really? A lot of yeah, absolutely. A well, lot, of, a lot of my clients supported her as well. Um, I think she'll be a good commissioner. Mm -hmm. She's got a short term because she filled out the last couple of years of a, another commissioner that was there, Anthony Williams, who now is in the governor's cabinet as the secretary for legislative affairs. So she'll have to be appointed again here in about a year and go through the whole process all over again. You know, but no, I think she's been solid. I think she's been solid for. For the hunters and the anglers. And as far as the rest of the commission, because that's something that I hear a lot off of the, you know, off the beaten path, you know, with the rest of the hunters and everybody else, that a lot of people just do not feel like the Wildlife Fishing Game Commission embodies what we as hunters and anglers want for our representation and, and people who are making the decisions. I'll tell you. It's a five-member body. I think I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. All appointed by the governor, confirmed by the Senate. So there's only five votes. So if you got three votes going one way or the other, done deal, right? If you were to roll the clock back eight to ten years, maybe even a little bit less than that, feeling like that would be absolutely warranted. I feel like we're entering into a new phase where it's, it's I don't want to say it's tipping completely back in, in our favor, but it's becoming way more understanding and, I guess, tolerant, which it sucks to have to use that word for our side. The but. current Fishing Game Commission, of which now Samantha, who I just talked about, doesn't hunt. I think she does fish. But she gets it, which is important. I don't care if they hunt or not. You yeah. know, As long as they understand the positive role that we play in wildlife management and... They are supportive of let's make wildlife management decisions based on science, not on emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what happens down the street at the Capitol. Um, Peter Silva is another one of the commissioners. He's a good man. He's been a solid vote, too. He comes from down in the Imperial Valley. Um, doesn't hunt, but, but he's been a solid vote. He gets it, too. Eric Sklar, avid hunter. He's been president of the commission for quite some time. Russell Burns, another commissioner, hunts every bit as much as you and I do. I promise you that. He's a solid guy. You know, and so and the other one is, is Jackie Hossler-Karmazin. She comes from a long line of hunters, married to a hunter, 
she's been outstanding as well. I'll be honest with you, Andy. I've been working the Fish and Game Commission for almost 30 years, about 28 years. Go back to the early 90s, and it was a hook and bullet gang. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, the animal rights folks didn't really have the commission on their radar screen. I literally had been to commission meetings before I was the only member of the public there. Really? Only one there. That's happened. Wait, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. You know, you go to a fishing game commission now, you got, depending on what's on the agenda, two, three, four, five hundred people in the audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, the animal rights folks, they know the commissions there. The they pack the house. They do. Always. But this commission has been solid. Mm-hmm. They really have been solid. I, it's been the best commission I've seen in probably 20 years. Really has been. I'm very pleased. You know, one of the issues that we fought hard on, and they were right there with us on a 5-0 vote more than once, several times, was the uh, ability to use GPS collars on dogs pursuing mammals. Couldn't do that. You could use one on your short hair, you know, chasing pheasants, or on your lab chasing ducks. Yeah. And if you need one for one of those, you need a new dog, right? You don't yeah. need a GPS collar, you need a new dog. Right. If you've got to put one on those. But when, when you've got dogs pursuing mammals, you don't know where they're going to go, right. right? You know, animal rights folks fought the hell out of that for a long, long time. We didn't have a prayer of getting the, because they were illegal already, right? Yeah. We didn't have a prayer for getting the authorization to use those on dogs pursuing mammals until a few years ago. And we fought hard and, and we provided the facts. Animal rights folks do all of their, you know, the, the, the jargon that they want to say, oh, these dogs run amok to the field, they kill everything in their path. I mean, you've heard all those arguments, right? Yeah. They've never been on a, you know, a hunt with dogs before, so they don't know, but, you know, that's the message that they want to make the decision makers think. You know, they tried everything they could, and, and we beat them a couple times, and then they, they tried to flip it in court. We beat them there, too. So, But it was this commission, the same commission that we've got right now, that, that, that said, wait a minute, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to use GPS on, on hounds. And all the arguments that they've thrown out in the building to Capitol and Senate Bill 1221 that took away our right to run dogs and bears and bobcats, same arguments they used for that, which were deceitful. They tried to use it in front of the Fish and Game Commission. They may have been able to sell that in the legislature. They couldn't sell it with this Fish and um, Game Commission. So, so and, and really quick, just because you brought up bears, you know, what do you think is the possibility of ever getting hounds back, hound running dogs for bears? Is it going to be an uphill battle? You bet it's going to be an uphill battle. Are, are we and the California Houndsmen for Conservation, who do a fantastic job, committed to seeing to it that that happens? Absolutely we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely we are. So uh, yeah, we're going to keep fighting that as long as we possibly can, and we're going, to, we're going to keep putting it out there. A lot of people thought the Houndsmen would fold when Senate Bill 1221 passed in, in 2012. They thought that organization's going to fold and go away. No. Stronger they, than ever. They came stronger than ever. They're more resolved now than they've, they've ever been. Probably that's a, a lot good, more organized now, That's too. a good... They've always been pretty organized. Yeah. You know? It, it, but there's nothing to, there's nothing like a defeat like that to make you really look at the structure it. and yeah. be like, all right, we're going to redo this and we're going to do it right. That's an amazing group of people. It yeah. really, really is. And, and they are absolutely dedicated to their hounds. And so, we're going to fight with them every step of the way to get those dogs back for bears. Now, do you think that right now the amount and every uh, all hunters I know agree with this statement do you think that the amount of bears that we're seeing now in the field is a direct result of not having hit the quota 
Make no mistake about that. Yeah. I mean, we're falling five, six hundred bears a year under the quota. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't account for offspring. No, no, absolutely. You figure that that bill was passed eight years ago. It went into effect in 2013, if my memory serves me right. Mm -hmm. Right. So you figure that we've had at least three, you know, uh, birthings of bears, you know, since or three generations, if you will, yeah. since then. You know, the bear numbers are spiraling out of sight. They're on the flipping news every night, yeah. for Christ's sakes, right? I mean, no. All across the state. The only way, and, and we've tried to brainstorm with the department, how can we kill more bears? Because they're, they're beating the shit out of, out of deer, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we can talk a little bit about the impact bears have on deer. Mountain lions get all the credit, but bears do more damage than... than than the mountain lions do, right? You yeah. know, I mean, yeah, they're, they're a serious problem, not to mention the, the public safety concerns and everything else, beating the, the timber industry up because they're, they're killing their trees, ripping the bark off. I mean, they need to be managed. They're an apex predator. They're not going to manage themselves. Mountain lions aren't going to manage them. Wolves aren't going to manage them. Mm -hmm. We have to manage them, right? And, and unless we can use dogs, we don't have the ability to do that. Right. Well, do you think that if they introduced a spring bear season, or if that was even a possibility, that that would help up the number to reach the quota every year? I think that would have a lot of opposition from within the hunting community as well. Oh, really? Right, because uh, sows, pregnant sows, you know, sows with cubs, a lot of that stuff. That's one of the beauties of hunting hunting bears with dogs you put them up a tree i don't know if you've ever done it before i have you know it's the only kind of catch and release hunting we got yeah. right you put them up there you can tell if it's a sow a sow with cubs pregnant sow you can tell all that stuff mm -hmm. and if it is you pull your dogs back and you let her go yeah you know if it's a big boar you take them I mean, yeah. you know so i mean move on to the next absolutely yeah. you know and one of the arguments that the, the animal rights folks used on 1221 was well it's, it's not fair chase it's not ethical our response to that was, I don't care if you're in the duck blind or where you're at, you want that green head as close as you can so you can make a safe, clean, humane shot, right? I mean, nobody likes to see animals or, or hates to see animals, I should say, suffer more than we do, right? You want that animal to be dead on, dead as soon as it's hit, right? What better way to do that when you've got them up at a tree? Right. You know, you want to take a shot at one at 300 yards, you know, on foot? I don't think so. So... Yeah. so and, and we'll start segueing into the next topic, but um, it sounds like there is maybe some hope for the houndsmen of California, and, and, and maybe down the road there might be some light at the end of the tunnel. It's an educational process. Yeah. Bears are going to continue to do what they're doing, which Thrive. is breeding out of control. Their populations right now, ask, ask the Department of Fish and Wildlife, they'll tell you, are at the highest they've ever been since we've been keeping records. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they're going to keep thriving. They're going to keep going nuts. We're going to continue to fall several hundred bears short of that, that quota. A little background, the department tried to raise that quota three times before the, the bear dog bill went into effect because they knew we weren't killing enough bears at Back 1,700. Yeah. Animal rights folks went nuts. That was when the commission wasn't as educated as they are now. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, three years in a row, the animal How rights How important would you say that it is to continue having an educated fish and, game, fish and wildlife commission? Incredibly important. Paramount. Incredibly. 100% paramount. 
they, to they, the future of the sport in California. There's no question about that. They need to understand the tremendous role hunters and anglers play in conservation, the money that we pump back into the system, you know, not only through our license stamps and tag fees, but, I mean, joining Oregon, California Deer, California Housing, whatever, you go to their dinners, you, you, you know, buy a few raffle tickets. I mean, they turn around and they put that money in the right spot. Yeah. Right? You know, but there's also Pittman Robertson. You know, the money that we pump into that. I mean, so there's the money on the ground aspect, but what about the private landowners that, that are managing their land for, for habitat as well? Mm-hmm. You know, and then they may lo- allow guides or maybe they just hunt with their, their family and friends on it, but same thing. I mean, we're doing it on the private dollar a lot as well, keeping those lands, you know, on the tax rolls, yeah. saving that money from the taxpayers having to spend and so forth. So, I mean, there's a variety of reasons why it makes sense to keep a robust hunting and fishing community in California. And unless they know that, I mean, they're just going to think that hunting is some kind of barbaric sport the way that they try to frame it down at the Capitol. Right. And and we're not going to win a thing anywhere. So the commission, yeah, we need to continue to educate them six-year terms so they don't turn over, you know, that often. But they turn over, they can be reappointed. <laughs> but, you know, even more so down at the Capitol where would people... It, would there, it, and I don't know if there is, but is there any... When one person's on their way out, teaching the next person who's coming in, is there any hand-holding to that nature? Talk about it with the commission or with, yeah, the, with the, the department? Commission. With, with the commission? Not really. No. Commission staff will sit down with them and, and try to educate them all they can. We, my clients and I, we'll call, as soon as somebody gets appointed, we'll right away put in a request to meet with them. Yeah. We've done that with all the commissioners, right? Well, I'd imagine for you it's absolutely Oh, yeah. I, I, I want them to know who we are, what we do. I want to kind of get, get a feel for... You have for, to have a relationship with absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I want to make sure that they have that educational background on, on what we do. So if they don't, then it's up to us to, yeah. to, you know, to educate them. And, and in some cases, that means getting them out on the field. We'll invite them out. Yeah. We did a falconry demonstration for the commission just a couple <laughs> weeks ago. How cool is because, that? Because, well, well, if... if Falconry is a very, very cool sport. Yeah. You know, the, the oldest form of hunting, as I'm right. sure you know. And the, the falconry regulations in California are far more extensive than any other type of regulation out there, period. So here you've got the fish. It used to be the federal government used to do it. They threw it to the states a few years back. So now suddenly it's the Fish and Game Commission working with the Department of Fish and Wildlife. None of them have ever been falcon, you know, hunting with a falcon before, right? So we said, we need to get you out, get you out in the field. Check it out. See what it's and actually And talk about this. Show you what we do, you know, and, and talk about some of the regulations and so forth. So we put on a demonstration. I'll be damned. We, we had two of the five commissioners there. We had a crowd of probably another 75 people, people from the department. Oh, all wow. the commission staff was there. Yeah. And they were pretty much blown away. But yeah. that's how you, you got to, if you can get them out in the field to educate them, that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ways that we talked about the GPS collars on dogs. Yeah. We got we got one of the commissioners out on a hound hunt mm-hmm. for raccoons. Couldn't chase bears, but for raccoons. He came back, he goes, holy smokes. All the stuff that I had heard from the animal rights folks, none of that is accurate. Mm-hmm. Our response was, we told you so, <laughs> right? But until they see it themselves, yeah. you know, I mean, they don't know what to believe. So, yeah. So, um, and we'll move into the next topic, which this would be fairly short because it's mountain lions. And I'm only bringing it up because if I don't, everybody is going to be like, why didn't you talk about mountain lions? Mountain lion hunting, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not, I haven't been through school. I don't, you know, public student, public school. We'll just blame that, right? 
They probably didn't in, teach you much about mountain lions. But, absolutely not, right. especially not in 1990. Right. Uh, in California, unless we have four-fifths majority of the voting population of the state of California on our side, there is no way in hell that we will ever get mountain lion hunting back in the Four state. Four-fifths vote of the legislature. Of the legislature. So it's not yeah. the voting population well, of the state. Roll back a little bit. That was Prop 117, which yeah. is back in 1990. My memory yeah. serves me right. So that was a vote of the people. So you could flip it by putting it back on the ballot and getting a majority of the people to vote. We did that back, I want to say 1997, failed, yeah. right? So that's one way to flip it. The other way is in the legislature, but you need a four-fifths vote. To and do either that. way, we're fucked. Like either way, it's it's an uphill battle. Yeah, there's no question about that, right? And they're taking it one step further now because the animal rights folks, Center for Biological Diversity, and the Mountain Lion Foundation, have petitioned the Fish and Game Commission to consider lit. Because Fish and Game Commission also does California Endangered Species Act policy, right? So they petitioned the Fish and Game Commission to look at to uh, evolutionary significant units or ESUs of mountain lions. So instead of Instead of looking at the entire state, what's the population? Looking at individual little units of them saying that they should be listed under Endangered Species Act, California Endangered Species Act. My response to that is That's they've not already even, got this. It's not even logical. How can you even try to? I'll get to that in a second. But, but they've already got the strongest protections they could possibly have because, you know, it was the vote of the people. The, the fourth, we just talked about that, right? Yeah. Why do they need more protection? Well, you can still kill them with the depredation permit now. Well, right? We want to get rid of that. Well, no, I mean, if, let's say you're a rancher and, mm -hmm. and you've got a mountain lion killing one of your calves or something like that, you can get a depredation permit. You have to get it from Fish and Wildlife. they got to, you know, give the green light for it, right? So they'll make sure that you're, you're legit and the whole nine yards. But you can kill them under depredation. If they get listed under CESA, no. You could, you'd have to sit there and watch them. So really what they're trying to do is take away any ability to harm a mountain lion. Right. And and their argument on the ESUs is, this is it's primarily in the, the central and south coast areas where you've got mountainous areas, you know, you know, that are on the far western part of California that are separated by eight lane freeways. Right. And then, you know, mountain lion tries to cross that, he ain't gonna make it. Yeah. So, and and a lot of them do get hit down there. So those units are, are genetically and otherwise isolated from the rest of the mountain lion community. Mm -hmm. So they're saying this is a significant unit, and there, there's several of those down there. So they're arguing, and it's unprecedented, they're arguing that, that those need those ESUs need to be listed. And right now, I mean, the, the, the commission hasn't made a decision on that yet. But long story short, if they do, it goes into a one-year candidacy period where they actually dive in deeply, the department will, right. take a look at whether or not they should be listed or not. You know, and then if at the end of that year, if they say, yeah, they should be, boom, they're listed. So ranchers in that, in those ESUs. It affects the entire state when they're, when they're trying to focus on one area, but it in turn is going to affect the entire state. It would, it would affect those areas for sure. Uh -huh. Now, mountain lions have lived outside those areas. It's the first time they've tried to do ESUs, but the way I understand that if they live outside those ESUs, mm -hmm. that they're actually petitioning for listing, then it would be the same as we've had. Okay, so then yeah. there'd still That's be my understanding. an availability right. for depredation. or Yeah, but there's a lot of ranchers out there that didn't give me... Yeah, well, I mean, my grandfather used to issue bounties at $50 a mountain lion, you know, in Marin County. You, know, you got your share of them up there for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, the ranchers would go. He, the mountain lion would come in harassing the cattle, or you know whatever they had going on out there. 
rancher would take it out and call my call my grandfather and say, hey, we killed one. He'd come out and verify it and give him $50 from the state of California. Right. Times have changed. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and only getting worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So... I just wanted to throw that out there with mountain lions because I know everybody's going to want to know what can we do to, you know, get mountain lions back and until we educate, you know, the general public, you know, on that topic and why managing them, you know, is a good thing. It'd be tough. I mean, you know, impossible almost, right? Yeah. And same educating and getting four fifths of this legislature. I mean, <laughs> Right, that'd be tough. You know. Super difficult. Right yeah, there. That, that, that's a tough one. There's no question about that. So right. next I want to ask you, and you kind of brought up wolves a little bit. What's your opinion on wolves in California? The state had If you the, can publicly uh, speak uh, to Oh, it. I can. I mean, the, the state put me on the, uh, the, I mean, I know the that wolf management wolves. plan I know there's committee. wolves in oh, California. Yeah, 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 and yeah. anybody that's going to tell me that there isn't. What, what still blows me away, and this is back, I mentioned about 10 years ago, when the commission was not, not the commission we had now, right now. not even yeah. close. There wasn't even, I mean, OR7 came in, everybody knows that story, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't even here anymore. There, we didn't have a single wolf in California, and the commission voted to list them under the California Endangered Species Act. And when we did have one, because at that time, there was no record of, of there being a separate, an additional wolf with him. Didn't have a mate, nothing like that, mm -hmm. right? There was absolutely no record of that. He was collared, obviously, so they knew he was here. There was no sightings, no other collared wolves or anything like that, so we had one. Well, you could argue, and we did, under the California Dangerous Species Act, you have, for recovery, you have to at least have a pair, right? One male, one female, otherwise mm -hmm. you're never gonna recover something that there's only one there's of no or, or none for. of, yeah. right? We, we, we got that argument out there, that commission didn't care. They listed them. You know, I. You look at other. You can. We could debate for a long time whether or not we ever even had wolves in this state, right? Are are they native or are they exotic? I would argue that they're exotic, right? There's really no solid record of them ever being in California. I have a I have a newspaper article from San Francisco in the eight, mid 1800s that talks about the trapper. And what he would do would ferry over to Marin County, kill wolves and bears, and then bring the meat back to market to sell the meat on the market in the 1800s. Now, I mean, was it coyotes or was it wolves? Well, I have no idea, but they called them wolves in the a lot newspaper of people back see, then. And you got hybrids too, right? Yeah. A lot of people see a big coyote. Maybe it's in its winter coat. Maybe it's a hybrid. Oh, wolf. Yeah. Right? Well, no. Have you ever seen a, a real wolf? They're a hell of a lot bigger than a coyote. They're right? big. But seriously, I mean, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that, that he probably wasn't trapping wolves. Yeah. Pretty sure he wasn't, right? Yeah. You know, but you look at, we're already we've talked a little bit about bears and, and the impact that they have on deer. The, the, the preferred food of the wolf is elk. Mm -hmm. You look at like Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, their elk populations are 10, 20 fold what ours are, right? Yeah. In California, I think we've got about maybe between Tules, Rosies, and, and Rockies, we've got maybe 13, 14,000 elk total. 
That's like a tenth of what Oregon has. It wouldn't take Wolves, especially because we know they're going to go after Elk first, right? Yeah. To totally decimate that herd. I mean, or all the herds that we have in the yeah. state. Pretty scary stuff. You know, we're already dealing with mountain lions. We're already dealing with bears. You're going to throw wolves on top of that? So if you care about big game like we do, it's pretty scary. Absolutely. I just wanted to touch on that really quick to get your... Your thoughts and your opinions, I feel like it's... Well, I know a little bit about Woods because the department stuck me on their Wolf Management Plan Committee way back when, when OR7 showed up. Oh, right? really? Oh, yeah. So we spent hours on that. And we were outnumbered and outgunned. I, I was on there. There was a rep from California Deer Association, a rep from Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And I think that was it from the, the hunting or consumptive side, right? Mm-hmm. It was like 23 members of the whole committee, and the rest of them were like the Center for Biological Diversities, the, the friends of this, friends of that, all of that stuff. So Really? Yeah. So, why don't you tell us, I mean, we've talked here for almost a, a half an hour, about a half an hour. I haven't even introduced who you are yet. Kind of missed the boat on that one. So, Bill, why don't you tell us who you are? what you've been doing since the early 90s in the state of California. And a little background. Introduce yourself, yeah. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, my name's Bill Gaines, you know that. I'm probably a hunter first. Grew up hunting. You know, back back when I was a kid, if I, if I wasn't that baseball, football, whatever practice, right? Mm-hmm. I was hunting, it was that simple, or, or fishing. You know, just just grew up that way, and it's always been in my blood. Well, I never thought I'd be a lobbyist. I, in fact, I hate politics, right? <laughs> always, always have. But when I graduated from college, I, it was 1980. President Reagan was just elected. Cold War was going on, and beefing up the defense industry. So I had a bunch of buddies that went down to Lockheed Missiles in Space in Sunnyvale that graduated the quarter before me and I was single. I didn't have any reason why. I went to Davis, so I was here in the valley, right? You know, I had no reason why I wouldn't go down there. So they said, hey, come on, come on down, man. We got a place for you to live. You know, da, 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 da. We, we can get you an interview. Making good money. And so I did. So I lived down in San Jose or Sunnyvale actually for, for five years. Country boy suddenly stuck in the city, right? <laughs> I said, you know what? That's enough of that. I got to get out of here. And at the time, Aerojet was operating up here in Rancho Cordova. So it was the only defense contractor in this part of the world. So I went up there, got an interview, and, and grabbed a job at Aerojet. Well, fast forward another seven years. Now it's the early 90s, and Reagan's out of office, termed out, right? And, and they're cutting the Cold War's over, and they're cutting way back on defense. They were laying off yeah. in waves. That was back in the days when you, if you wanted to look for another job, you had to go to the want ads and, and look in the classifieds, right? You didn't get online, and, or yeah. there was none of these, these things you got now. You actually had to search stuff out. Oh, yeah, you had to go to the papers and, and find them. Yeah. You know, and so my wife was getting pretty nervous. I had two little kids at the time. She's going, you're going to get laid off sooner or later. So you get out there, get out in front of this thing. You know, and, and when I started seeing buddies of mine that I thought, oh, that, that guy will never be laid off. He's top notch. Boop, gone. It's like, holy smokes, <laughs> I better find another job because yeah. nobody's safe, right? Yeah. Anyway, so she found an ad for California Waterfowl Association that said they were looking for a new uh, government uh, or director of government affairs. True story. It's how much I hated politics at the time. So I, I, I got an interview. 
On my way to the interview, I'm still working at Aerojet. On my way to the interview, I stopped at the library and did research on the state legislature because I didn't know anything about the state legislature, <laughs> nothing. Because I didn't care, right? I was like, what do I? Why well, pay attention? I'd to rather it. talk sports or hunting than, than than politics, right? Anyway, so you know, a few interviews later, you know, I ended up getting that job. That was back in 1992, and so I served as Air Director of Government Affairs until about 2006. You know, and then branched off, you know, just doing the waterfowl stuff in those days. And in those days, California waterfowl was pretty much magazine and government affairs. That was it. We didn't have any project biologists or anything like that. We didn't do projects. We didn't have the ability to do projects. Yeah. Come a long way since then, right? You know, but uh, at any rate, so, so it got, that got me into to lobbying for waterfowl. And from there, I expanded to doing ducks, deer, elk, every, everything hunting, if you will. You know, and, and so now I've got my own my own lobbying firm, Gaines and Associates. It's all we do is wildlife stuff. And you've been at it forever. Oh yeah, well yeah, yeah. for almost thirty years. Yeah. yeah, times have changed a little bit in California over those thirty years. I'll tell you that. It's I I have to imagine you watched it go full steam one direction, and for maybe twenty years, and maybe in the last ten, it's kind of started to slowly eke back a little bit into a better position for us as outdoorsmen? You're talking about in the legislature? Yeah. No. No. No, 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 no. Fish and Game Commission, different story. We talked yeah. about that. Legislature is, with, with every election cycle, gets a little more liberal. California's changing. You look at the demographics. I mean, it used to be largely a rural state. Not anymore. I mean, we still have 80% of the land mass is still wide open. But 80% of the, the votes are in San Francisco and Los Angeles, right? I mean, that's where they are. Yeah. You know, we need an electoral college here in California. We don't got one. You know, so no, it's 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 just getting worse and worse. Only because every time they do a census, you know, you know, the districts change a little bit. You know, God, you could get, you imagine if there was an electoral college inside the state of California? Yeah. We'd have to pass that through through this body that uh, wouldn't, wouldn't want, want that, that to happen. Wouldn't want at that all. to happen. Yeah. But you can see our forefathers, when you look at the, at the nation, pretty smart bunch of guys. Talk about forward thinking. What, that was, you know, several hundred years ago, right? Yeah. And, and they had the, the wherewithal to put an electoral college in place. Hats off to them. Yeah. Hats off to them. Otherwise, you know, the nation would be being ran by, you know, New York, Chicago, and L.A., the way California is being ran by San Francisco and Los Angeles. And they just don't understand, yeah. you know, hunting and fishing in the well, world. Well, they're ignorant to, to 90% of it. Which is why it gets us back to the educational thing, which is a constant, ongoing battle, both with the commission, mm-hmm. you know, but it's easier to educate five than it is 120, right, mm-hmm. you know, at, down at the Capitol. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting, it gets a little bit tougher every year, Andy, a little bit tougher every year. Yeah. And it's already really tough, don't get me wrong. Right. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to fight. That doesn't mean that we're not going to stand down there in committee and slug it out on bills that, that just make no sense from a wildlife management or a hunting perspective. Mm-hmm. You bet we are. We can't take our ball and go home. I mean, hunting's too important to me. It's too important to yeah. you. It's too important to the wildlife out there that depend upon it. Right? Absolutely. So that actually leads me into a thought or, you know, a question. So in California, we have a lot of 501s that are always operating and always seeking more funds and more money and, you know, having dinners and banquets and lunches and, you know, money drives and pint nights and all these different 
avenues that they're seeking revenue. In your experience, what, and, and I'll definitely say California Waterfowl Association has been in a, a very important role in, in California Waterfowl. Um, outside of that, you know, like, so for me, and I'll speak for myself, it's very difficult for me when I look at something like California Beer Association and then I'm like, well, what are you guys doing to help our beer herds? What are, what's actually happening? Do you have biologists? Are you funding anything for beer? Is there anything else other going on other than hats and banquet dinners and raffles and, you know, auctions and, you know, all this kind of stuff or Rocky Mountain Elk? You know, what's, what's happening? What are they actually, you know, and I'll look and I'll take California Wild Sheep. California Wild Sheep has a project they're constantly trying to fundraise for in order to put new guzzlers to put more sheep back on the mountain make water more accessible and you know allow the herds to flourish better so in your experience of I mean probably intricately working with almost all of them right in the state of California what are the and you don't have to get specific, but what are they doing to help fight and battle for hunting rights in the state of California well, actually, when they're I, raising all this extra I, I money? I think you just asked a couple of questions. What are they doing in general, and then what are they doing politically, right? Yes. Now, as 501c3s, they're limited in, in how much money they can put towards politics. I okay. Mean, law is very strict on that. But I will tell you, you mentioned CWA. They're doing a lot. I spent 15 years there. I still work with them every single day down at that capital, mm-hmm. you know, to, to fight for hunters' rights and, and for habitat and all the things that we care deeply about. You know, CWA has done a really good job of getting word out. They've got a, you know, they've got a very solid social media campaign. I mean, you know, they've done a good job of getting word out to duck hunters as to what they're doing. I'll tell you, you mentioned California Deer Association, you mentioned Rocky Mountain, Mountain Sheep, or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you mentioned California Chapter Wild Sheep, Wild Sheep Foundation. All three of those, organ- I have the pleasure of representing all three of them. Okay. They are all doing amazing things on the ground, from the project side. If, if they're weak anywhere, it's probably getting word out to their members as to what they're doing. I work with, with uh, CDA on their magazine, trying to help them message to their members what they're doing politically because they're fighting like hell down there. The Senate Bill 395, the, the uh, roadkill bill that a lot of people want to call it, CDA sponsored that bill. That was their bill. Yeah. It's, now, it's now been signed into law, right? You know, so, so, and they're doing phenomenal stuff on the ground. I mean, they've pumped, they've only been around for like a little over 20 years. I mean, they've pumped millions of dollars on the ground. I had a meeting with them last week on some of the projects they've got going right now. Yeah. Massive project. They're really doing good stuff on the ground. If they've got a weak link, it's, it's telling people what they do. And if you're not a member of CDA, you don't get their magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really their magazine is really the only way that they can educate people. So we've got to get better doing that. Same with RMEF, doing some phenomenal stuff on the ground, research-wise, project-wise. I mean, you, you want to talk about about just stories about what hunters have done to recover species. Look at the tule elk. Yeah. We had less than 30 in the state. 
Right? <laughs> now we got like 10,000. Yeah. And that's hunters. Hunters that did that. You know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation played a huge role in that. So they're doing some phenomenal stuff on the, on the ground too. Wild Sheep Foundation, you mentioned them. They're amazing. I mean, you know, they keep a fire lit under California Department of Fish and Wildlife, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, the guzzlers and everything. I mean, not only that, but th there's a lot of things associated with with the health of wild sheep, disease issues, all kinds of stuff that we deal with with sheep. That the Wild Sheep Foundation is just right there on the ground helping out, providing funding, manpower, doing everything they need to partner with the department on, on getting good things done for wild sheep. And as a result, I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit while we were having lunch. You know, roll the clock back two years ago, we had 19 wild sheep tags in the state, 19. Last year, largely because of the partnership they have with the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the working relationship that we have, went from 19 to 29. And we We're, lost five. Right, because they closed San Gregonia. That, that's right, because of these disease issues, yeah. right? You Which, know, so it could have been 34. Right, and and this year we're looking at, at bumping up. The commission makes the final decision in April, but we're looking at bumping up another two tags to go up to 31. So Do you I know mean, what units that would be in? Or? I don't have the details on that yet. You know, I know one of the tags is going to be in a zone that was closed last year because of disease issues. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I'm supposed to get that information here pretty quick. And then what I would also wonder on top of that would be, are they going to be cutting back tags in other units or are you not aware of anything? There's going to be one unit that's going to be shut down because of disease, right? But the net increase will be two tags. Oh, really? It, well, assuming that it's approved by the Fish and Game Commission because they have the final say. A lot of people think the Department of Fish and Wildlife define and, and make regulations. The commission the, does. The department doesn't. The they department make the recommendations. Yeah. Well, then they they'll, they'll recommend to the commission. Yeah. You know what uh, what they think deer tag quotas ought to be, elk tag, you know, you name it, and then it's up to the commission to uh, make the final decision. And the I'll tell you, the commission's process is exemplary. I mean, it's, it's they have three meetings to go over this stuff. They have the initial notice meeting, discussion hearing, and then the adoption hearing. Mm -hmm. Transparent as, as it possibly could be. I mean, they, they, they broadcast it over the internet, live. You got to be in the room to testify, and we're always there, you know, but uh, it, it's pretty amazing. And they hear countless testimony, like we talked about earlier, the animal rights folks were there in spades. You know, but they tend to focus, I mean, they, they, they have to consider public emotions, but they focus on the science, which is the way wildlife management decisions need to be made, right? Yeah. Wow. That's so crazy. So. Oh, you were, well, let me get back. You asked, we, you asked, we talked about the organizations and what they're doing politically. Yeah. Rolling back to when I was with CWA. Doing business for a while, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. When I when I joined CDA as their director of government affairs back in '92, there was really no other organizations, no other 501s, 501 mostly or 501c3s doing anything politically besides California Waterfowl. Yeah. DU was active back in Washington, and they still are. Not so active here, right? So it was all C CWA. You know, and, and but now we've got everybody engaged. We talked about the California Houseman for Conservation, mm -hmm. heavily engaged politically. RMF is engaged. California Deer Association is engaged. Wild Sheep Foundation is engaged, and and several others are. Not only are they engaged politically, but now we're 
we're more coordinated than we've ever been to. We have what we call the Hunting and Conservation Coalition, which is leadership from about 30 different wildlife-related NGOs, not governmental organizations, right? And we meet quarterly. We met, just met last was last week, two weeks ago, and and we discuss issues of concern, including big chunk of it's what's going on in front of the Fish and Game Commission, what's going on in front of the. Uh, the state legislature, right? Yeah. You know, and the meetings are all day meetings. The second half, the Department of Fish and Wildlife leadership and Fish and Game Commission leadership come in and they give reports on what they're working on and it allows for about three hours of dialogue between these groups and the agencies that are defining wildlife, you know, regulations. You know, so it's it's really important. And, and so the coordination that we're seeing now amongst the hunting groups is, is the best by far it's ever been. And are they all actively engaged? Some more than others, but pretty much all of them are engaged at some level politically as much as they, they can, can be, be, you know, pursuant to the uh, to the codes, yeah. right? So, no, it, it's we're making headway, but thank God we are because, you know, the cards just keep getting stacked against us you know, right. when it comes to the other side. So. Totally. Well, you know, and you and I have talked about this in the past, which was... Uh, the pig bill that happened was it two years ago well, it happened like three times now yeah yeah and it keeps coming back up right not um, this year though thank god yeah right. right so like with that bill where so much confusion came in for a lot of people was here's a here's a bill that is supposed to be for hunting and you know changing the Changing it from tags to, you know, buying a pig stamp, a validation stamp, essentially. Um, But then tacked in it, you know, by Humane Society or or whoever else who is co-sponsoring, which I'm assuming they always have to have some stake in the bill in order to help get it through. Well, they they weren't co-sponsoring. I'll I'll make that clear. No, they weren't. But, I mean, at that point in time... They yielded a pretty heavy stick down there. Now, yeah. Assemblymember Bigelow, who's a very, very close friend of ours, definitely pro-hunting. You know, his goal was just, he's a rancher, right? His goal was just to make it easier for people to control pigs. Because mm-hmm. face it, I mean, they're exotic. And, and you're a pig guide, right? I mean, we got way too many pigs, and, and they can be devastating on the landscape. You know? mm-hmm. And so if you've got pigs out there, chances are that the habitat that you want for elk, deer, turkeys, whatever else is going to be, is going to be substantially degraded because of the damage they do. Yeah. So nobody really, you like to hunt them, you know, but they're hurting us in a lot of other ways. And if you're a rancher, they're definitely hurting you. So, I mean, so Bigelow's goal was just to make it easier for us to control pigs. Yeah. Anytime you introduce legislation down here, though, you know, suddenly you're going to get a lot of feedback from others. He knew that, that if the Humane Society came out and flat out opposed the bill, the bill wasn't going to go anywhere. So it was like, okay, can we or can we not work with these guys? Because they don't like pigs either. Yeah. The Humane Society doesn't like hunting. But if you're going to be allowed to hunt anything, pigs is one of them because they really hate pigs, right? Yeah. You know, and, and of course, you know, once you start that dialogue, then, you know, the canned hunts and all that stuff got brought up and then it kind of spun out of control. I spent a ton of time on that bill just trying to do damage goal. It won my bill, yeah. you know, and I wanted to maintain pig hunting for sure because yeah. I enjoy pig hunting as much as the next guy does, you know, but at the same time, we were running the risk of, of losing a lot of other stuff too. And, Anyway, so the bill finally finally blew up, and thank God he didn't introduce anything 
this year, although he thought long and hard about it. Yeah. I think we will see another pig bill here sometime in the future, not in 2020, but we'll see one yeah. sometime soon. Well, hopefully when it, when it does get brought up, it'll be a little bit more informed as far as the other types of hunting that it was ostracizing. Right, right. You know, that's the one thing about if you, if you introduce a bill and it fails or, or what have, or you pull the bill, whatever, at least you have the dialogue down in the building. People yeah. that are still there, some of them will turn out, you know, you'll see some new faces, but the people that are still there will have benefited from the, the previous discussions. And if you're the author, you get smart too, right? You know, I make the mistake once, shame on me. I make it twice, you know, double shame on me, right? Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, th- I think it's been a learning experience for, for Assemblymember Bigelow. And I think when and you see the next bill, it should be a little bit more refined. Manageable. Yeah, manageable, right? And then what would you say happened with the Bobcat ban? We came within one vote of killing that in the Senate Policy Committee. One vote. Um, that was introduced by an urban L.A. legislator that probably had never seen a Bobcat in her life. But for whatever reason, you know, she thought that, gee, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be taking these things. We need to protect them. They're, we don't have very many of them because I haven't seen one. Well, you live yeah, in L.A. Right. You, you ask the Department of Fish and Wildlife if we have enough bobcats, and they'll go, oh, yeah, we got plenty. You know, and they'll, well, why don't we have a bobcat management plan? The department will tell you because we've got limited staff and limited dollars, and we got other species that, that might need more attention, that need than, more attention than bobcats. We can't pull staff off on bobcats. Bobcats, when we know we got plenty, when we got other species out there that really need us to pay attention to them, right? So, I mean, the department was doing their due diligence where they should have been doing their due diligence. They used the argument, the proponents of the bill, well, we don't have a bobcat management plan. How do we know that we we can hunt bobcats? So it's kind of like a, if you don't have a plan because you don't think you need one, because you can't do a plan on everything, right? I mean, they're... they're cost millions of dollars and they take a tremendous amount of staff time right especially on bobcats because they're elusive little critters trust me <laughs> i'm sure you know that yeah you know and, and so either you say all right we should be able to hunt them because we know there's plenty of them until we're proven by a management plan that we shouldn't or you could say well we shouldn't hunt them until we have a management plan that says you should Obviously, down at the Capitol, they said, "No, no, we need a management plan on those, and we're going to close the close the uh, the season until we get one." Well, and then it said that appropriation has to be made by the legislature to find the management plan. Yeah. So, if, if you're a legislator and you don't want to see Bobcat hunting for whatever reason, you just say, "I'm not going to find the management plan; it'll stay closed forever." Right? Yeah. We're actually in discussions right now down in the building because the 2020-2021 budget is being kicked around. It'll be signed into law, you know, in June, but. A lot of things have to happen on that budget, you know, trying to decide what will be funded and what won't be funded. Bobcat management plan is one of the things that we're working on right now. Now, what happens if there's a successful Bobcat management plan? If the department gets the money, and we're talking about two and a half, three million dollars to do it, they'll have to get an earmark by the legislature to do that plan. Department will have to go out there, knock out the plan. They provide that to the Fish and Game Commission, and the Fish and Game Commission, based on whatever that plan says, and of course public testimony, everything that we just talked about, will make the decision on whether or not we should be hunting bobcats. So there is actual hope. There is hope if we can get that management plan funded. There's hope. And then, is there anything that people can do? Like, is there anything they can do to sign up to help, or can they volunteer anywhere? The best thing that they can do is write their legislator, especially if they live in an urban district, 
write your legislator and say, hey, you know, these are the things that are important to me, whether it be bad bills that you want them to oppose or, or good bills you want her to support, right? The Bobcat management plan in the budget, you know, it should be one of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, let them know. If you're a constituent of theirs, nothing hurts more than a constituent chewing you out and saying, what the heck, you know, I'm, I vote for this district, pal, you know, and I want you to vote this way. They want to hear from their constituents. If you call Senator Snort down in downtown L.A. when you live in Modoc County, He's not going to care. Yeah. Right. But if, if you're within his district, he'll care. Right. That's crazy. So are there bills coming up this year that hunters, that, is there anything that we can do as hunters for anything coming up to help either stop or well, we got, help propel? We, got, well, we, we need both, right? I mean, <laughs> the, the bill introduction deadline was February 21st which means that, that we just saw a whole slug of new bills introduced just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Amongst those is a bill that would ban the use for using dogs to pursue deer. Mm-hmm. Which it's funny that they stopped dogs on bears before they stopped that, dogs yeah, on Senate bears. Senate Bill 1221 back in 2012 was bears and bobcats. That was it. Yeah. But remember, and if you've been paying attention, you will remember this, Andy. We have fought bills for the last 15, 20 years that proposed to outlaw dogs for pursuit of all mammals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it would include deer. would have included bears. would have included bobcats. We've killed that bill several times. The bill that passed a few years back was just bobcats and bears. This bill would would increase it to deer also. Um, So that bill's out there. What's interesting about that bill is that you change one word in that bill, it could go, you could delete deer, insert mammals, or Uh you could delete deer and insert wildlife, and that bill will have a whole different meaning. So that's the danger of that bill. I mean, uh-huh. it's bad policy in general. There's absolutely no biological reason to prohibit the use of dogs for hunting deer. I've done it. I grew up doing that. They're not chasing down deer, shredding them, and so forth. They don't hunt in packs. You're only allowed one dog per deer hunter anyway. Uh-huh. And most of the time, you're losing, you're using little 15, 20-pound you know, beagles and stuff to chase these things, right? <laughs> and all they're doing is busting them out of the brush. You know, you know, so that you can get a clear shot at them, or you know, if you have a down one, helping you find the down one. That's it. They're not catching them and killing them. That just doesn't happen. So again, that bill's being lobbied on on deceitful arguments that, yeah. that are absolutely untrue. You know, by people that have never actually done it before. Yeah. We got another bill that your, your listeners will love. This one that would outlaw the use of lead at indoor and outdoor sports shooting ranges. You got it basically non- banning lead for the entire state of California. Unless you're- it's already banned for wildlife. Yeah. I don't care if you're you know, what what you're taking for depredation purposes. You could be shooting a mouse in your backyard. Can't shoot it with lead anymore, right? Yeah. You know, but yeah, it would ban it at all indoor and outdoor shooting ranges. It doesn't even exempt enforcement. So enforcement would even have to use non-toxic loads. So that means that they're going to be in there practicing with 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 some kind of non-toxic load and then when they get out in the field they're going to want to go back to lead right because it's more effective same reason we want to use it anyway so that bill is out there we got the iconic african species protection act back which would you know make it illegal to bring all kinds of of popular african game 
back into California. Including, you were saying, the plains game. And pl- yeah, they call it iconic African species. Okay, you, you could argue that the lion and rhino, you could, you could argue some of them, you know, but plains game that are big time plentiful. But the other thing is, as you and I know, the, the money that is spent by people that go there to hunt these games is exactly why we have the, the game ability back to there hunt that them. we do. Yeah. Absolutely. It puts a value on Including them. rhinos and and hippos and All of those. We wouldn't have any if it, was, whole, if it wasn't for hunters. The whole entire deal. Because the, the locals back there, I mean, they, you know, they, 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 they devastate their crops. I mean, they'll yeah. kill villagers and so on and so forth. But no, they they don't. don't like them. They don't. But if you put a price tag on them, they know that elephant's worth a lot of money. And it's right? going to benefit them and their entire village. That's exactly right. That's and exactly not right. only that, but a lot of the guys that are running, I mean, I don't want to call them high-fenced farms or game farms or anything like that, you know, because they're millions of acres. Right, they're expansive, yeah. They're, they're just insanely large. But... All the guys that are putting funding towards, you know, the animals and the habitat and all of that, they're also out there fighting the poachers right. on a daily basis. Right. You know, and I don't, when I say fighting the poachers, I'm talking about gunfights, you know, firefights, real fights. Real fights, right. Because that's the extent that they go to out there in order to preserve their species and their wildlife protected from poaching that's right and and the villagers do the same thing because they know poachers are, are taking money out of their own pocket out of their pockets that's why we fought a similar bill two years ago senate bill 1487 same author senator henry stern from down south we got letters in from the the, the governments of tanzania namibia zimbabwe south africa and more on that bill, opposing that bill because of the incredible impact, negative impact it would have on the the impoverished economies of those areas, you know, poaching and then the whole nine yards. I mean, the governments wrote letters in saying, don't pass this legislation. It will harm more than it will help the animals yeah. that you guys well, care about. How many people from, how many people that go hunt out there are actually California residents? And I would, I'd probably like to say that there's more Californians going out there to hunt all these animals than anyone would like to give credit for. I think that because California's economy is so incredibly large. It, it, the number that go there from California is significant enough to where all these countries wanted to weigh in on it. Not to mention it's precedent setting, right? Yeah. You do it in California. Well, well all right, the, now we're going to do the next thing. Yeah. And the right, next right, thing. Right. And the yeah. next thing. And, and, and that's another, another piece of legislation that is based on nothing but emotions, absolutely no biological fact at all, you know? So, well, we're solving the world's problems. (laughs) What do you think that we can do to participate? What can the average outdoorsman in California do to participate? Know who your legislator is. You know, if, if you can develop a relationship with him or her, that would be ideal. At a minimum, weigh in with them. Mm-hmm. I don't care what district you're in. Obviously, the people who live in urban districts are even incredibly more important because it's their representatives that are part of the, quote, problem, right? Yeah. You know, but yeah, get to know your legislator, become politically active. And we talked about the various nonprofit groups that are out there. Again, every single one of those, even if you don't think they're doing much, 
Probably shame on them because they're just not saying what they're doing. They'll pump money into biologists. They'll pump money into, into as much as they can into political action. They'll do all that stuff. They're not pumping enough money into outreach other than their magazines, right? Yeah. For the most part, you know. But but they are doing good things. Support them. Yeah. You know, and and you go to a dinner, talk to the staff that are at the dinner. Tell them, you guys, I want you to be politically active. I want yeah. you to do this. Tell me what you're doing. All the right? guys I've met at CBA dinners have always been extremely welcoming, very kind and friendly. Yeah. CDA is a really great, great organization. I've got a lot of respect for CDA. I think they throw great dinners. Trust me, I've been to thousands of these dinners. Yeah, there, right. right. And I enjoy them all. I think CDAs are some of the best. It's just good, salt of the earth people. But that organization, when it comes to doing things on the ground, is, is it's impressive. They're, they're, they're really doing a lot of work impacting a lot of acres for deer and doing good things down here at the Capitol, like Senate Bill 395 last year, which not only gives Andy the ability to pick up that fresh roadkill on the side of the road and let meat that would otherwise go to waste go to use, right? But at the same time, it would develop the data we need where we can put these wildlife crossings in that can can maintain the health of our deer and other species. Now, with the roadkill bill, we don't Is like that, calling it. It's a wildlife traffic safety yeah. act. Yeah. Excuse me. I know. Well, media likes calling it the roadkill bill. With the wildlife traffic safety act, I have it correct. You do. All right. With the wildlife traffic safety act, if I were to go grab a deer off the side of the road that had been hit, what steps do I have to take to make that a legitimate harvest? You would need that's that's harvesting. That's not killing. Right, You're just right, right, going right. and collecting. Right. And a lot of other states do it already. You yeah. Probably know. Oh yeah. You would have to go to the department, and, and the intent is, and this is something else that we're seeking the funding for this year, like we talked about with the, with that other legislation, the Bobcat Bill. We got to go get it funded. Mm-hmm. You know, but the intent is to have. The ability on your phone, like the Waze app, if you got the Waze app to where if there's an accident, you can touch a little button, bing, you know, it, it says right where it is. Mm-hmm. A couple things. A, that if you see a dead deer on the side of the road, you can enter into the system the fact that there's a dead deer at mile two on da 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 right? But if you were to harvest it, then you need to get a permit from the Department of Fish and Wildlife. So can you drive around with a permit in your truck already? No. you, you got to get it, but you have time. It's not like you got 10 minutes to get it, right? Yeah. You just have to, to get one, and it, the intent is it for it to be seamless. It's not like Johnny Warden's got to come out and go, oh, yeah, okay. No, we, that would be overly costly, and it would take enforcement out of the field from where they should be. <laughs> doing what they're supposed to yeah, do. Yeah, right, right, Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah, but no, the intent is for it to be a very simple electronic exchange to where you can let you know note the data where the deer was killed. You apply for a permit. You, you get that seamlessly from the department. Now, and then if you get stopped by a warden because you got a buck in the back of your truck after the season. Now, you, what's you the time frame on that? I mean, as far as turnaround, because in my head, I'm thinking like, man, that's layers of the onion. How many layers am I going to have to peel back? I think it's 24 before hours. Before that meat is going to spoil because it's been no, roadkill deer on the side. No, no, no. You just have to have the permit within 24 hours. Oh, I'm yeah. picking it up. And, and, and any warden that's worth this salt, I mean, it's... Trust me, we faced countless arguments, some from wardens who didn't like the bill, others did like it, where they thought, this is just going to increase poaching. People are going to be out there hitting these deer on purpose and doing this, or shooting them and then throwing them in the back, say they were roadkills. Well, 
first of all, you're not going to take a $50,000 Ford F-250 and ram a deer with it. Who's going to do that, right? Yeah. You know, secondly, if you want to drive around all night long waiting for a deer to cross the road in front of you so you can hit, I don't care how big of a bumper you put on the front of your car, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> you know? But any warden that can't take a look at a deer and say, yeah, this was a roadkill or no, this one was shot, and it's like, come on. Come on. Right, yeah. So as far as it increasing posting, absolutely not going to happen. And it's already been implemented in a lot of other states. We've talked with every single one of them. Oregon was a little over a year ago. Idaho was about 10 years ago. You know, Washington. You know, it's like we asked them, did you see an increase in poaching because of this? And they said, absolutely not. They all heard the arguments when they were trying to pass it into law. Yeah. But it, it never it never materialized. So. Well, and that's pretty neat to hear that it's working in other states. Mm-hmm. And and Caltrans and the Department of Fish and Wildlife, UC Davis Road Ecology Center, who was a big partner in helping us pass this bill. UC Davis helped pass this Absolutely bill. Absolutely they wow. did. A gentleman by the Fraser Chilling at UC Davis was phenomenal on this because he runs the, the Road Ecology Center there. They've been screaming to get data on this stuff. They've had a website up to where Andy, if he hit a skunk or raccoon, whatever, or deer, could go on there and, and log in where he hit it. But I mean, by the time you get home, it, it just, you know, and so it, it, they just haven't got the data. They love this idea because they know it would allow them to get the data they need so they can work with the Caltrans and the DFWs and the Fish and Wildlife Service and others on making sure if you're going to put X number of wildlife crossings in, you put them in the right spots. And you're going to find that out by how many animals are killed there in a five-year period. Where are they getting killed? We named it Senate Bill 395 because of 395, right? Because 395 is decimated or... I love how people think that poachers have done a really strong job of decimating a wildlife population, and people do not understand or realize the amount of damage that has been done to our wildlife by highways and freeways and roads. Right, right. And we talked about that a little bit with mountain lions, right? Yeah. I mean, same with wild sheep. Speaking of the Wild Sheep Foundation, they have concerns where some of these, these sheep herds are being genetically isolated from other herds as well because of these massive freeways and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So these wildlife crossing, crossings are incredibly important. Yeah. You know, so it's one of the things that, that you know, if you really care about animals, if you're anti-hunting and you don't really care about animals, you just want to shut down hunting, you may have a problem with this. But if you really care about the health of animals, just as far as just population numbers and genetic diversity and all that kind of stuff, you care about wildlife crossings. I don't care if it's deer or skunks. You care about wildlife crossings, right? And they're multi-millions of dollars, so you got to get it right when you put them in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, so, and we'll roll into this as, as the last topic. Tule elk, and we don't have to go into, into too much detail on, on the back end of stuff that's maybe coming to fruition or anything like that. Um, but Point Reyes has Tule elk herd, and a lot of people want to kill them. Um, and I don't mean hunters want to kill them. Santa Rosa Island all over again. They want a Santa Rosa Island, that yeah. shit all over again. Right, right, right. So, what's your opinion on that? What do you think's going on there? I think it's absolutely ludicrous for, first of all, I was heavily opposed to Santa Rosa Island. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. I know. had uh, a buddy of mine, Chad Weeby, used to do a lot of hunting guide, right. I know guide events. Yeah. Uh, Oakstone Outfitters. Right, right. He's still um, in business today. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's doing really well. He's got a really a great operation. Thanks about Chad. Yeah. Uh, 
he used to guide out there. So, and I've gotten to see a lot of photos that he had personally taken while he was out there, which is remarkable to say yeah, the least. Pretty, I got in multiple use managers yeah. who, who ran the hunt until they shut it down, mm -hmm. right? They invited me out to help them guide some elk hunts when I was out there. Okay. Ten years ago or so. It was a couple of years before they went in and cleared them all out. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And the bucks. And, and the, the other thing is, it was an island, and... and they were like totally disease pure. I mean, it was the healthiest herd anywhere, right? <laughs> and then they go and they wipe them out. So fast forward to Santa Rosa, same thing. I mean, why would they be? Point race. I mean, I'm sorry, point race. Yeah. Why would they be considering hiring somebody to come in, pay money out of pocket, you know, to take these elk when you've got hunters? So like, what are, are they trying to shoot for a sustainable number of animals out there? Or are they trying to wipe out the herd entirely? My understanding is they don't want to wipe them out. They want to trim them back, right? They want to cut the fat. Yeah, but, but either way, it's yeah. like, I mean, I kill no pun intended for an elk hunt, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're hard to come by in California. Oh, yeah, especially and, a elk hunt. Absolutely, right? And, and, and considering that California is the only place that has them, you don't think those are big money hunts? Those are big money hunts, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not that, it, you know, I prefer that they just do it in general zone and give, you know, lunch bucket guys like you and I a shot at them is the way, the way to do it. But the bottom line is people want to hunt those. Let them hunt them. Let them harvest them. Let them put the meat to good use as opposed to letting them rot. Well, and I would, I would wonder, couldn't they use something along the lines of, like, what happened with Grizzly Island as a, as a role model? running a hunt out there or would that not be possible maybe as far as grizzly or, or santa rosa grizzly island the grizzly island elk hunt. oh right right okay um there's models out there yeah. that, have, that have worked yeah right I, there's no question that we have the ability to do it and do it right yeah. i know the department give the department of fish and wildlife credit where, where it's deserved they agree with us on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're doing all they can in their power right now to see if we can find some way to get, you know, the hunting community involved with with this management effort, right? Mm -hmm. So, right and, and, and we obviously support them on that. They know that we stand ready to help them in whatever way that, that we could possibly help them on that. So yeah. we're hoping that some common sense prevails this time on that. Yeah. Is there anything anyone can do to show up and try to be a part of that? Not yet. Not yet. Not but yet. if there is, we'll let them know. Oh, ab absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your afternoon. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate thank you for it. lunch. Absolutely. It was a great lunch. Yeah, no, it thank, was good. You know, thanks for taking the time out of your life and coming down here. And, you know, I look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, very much so, Andy. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.